under two hours. It cuts off there. Are you pumped? You want to go for a run right now? No. <laughs> That's honest. That's honest. Um, yeah, Elliot Kipchoge, that was just yesterday, yesterday morning. And I just saw on the news today that in the Chicago Marathon this morning, uh, the winner of the, of the women's race uh, set a new marathon world record. Like, what a time to be alive. Uh, Elliot Kipchoge, he's been on this quest to break two hours for the marathon for a number of years. And there, there's another video that I, I, I looked at that just described all of the preparation that had gone into this. This has been a, a, a work in progress for years of planning and preparation and training. And he already holds the, uh, the world record for the marathon. This one won't count as a world record because it was the conditions were all set up just for him to run ridiculously fast. Uh, pace setters and a super flat course and all that. But he finished 26.2 uh, miles in under two hours, which if you do the math, is averaging a 434 mile for 26.2 miles. Incredible. Um, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. I, I've told you before that emotional sports things get me emotional. <laughs> uh, and I think that Paul, the Apostle Paul, would have liked this guy. Paul often uses different metaphors to describe the Christian life, uh, and an athlete running a race uh, is one of them, and he revisits it a few few times. He actually talks about this uh, in the midst of a few different metaphors uh, just prior to the passage we're going to look at this morning. But uh, there's something about the single-minded focus that it took for Elliot and his whole team to accomplish this incredible feat of running a marathon. Who, Who here has run a marathon? I have to put my hand down. I have not. <laughs> Jeremy, how, how close were you? To... <laughs> we don't have to tell. You don't have to say. You don't have to say. You could just say north of two hours. That's fine. Um, but the single-minded focus that it took and all of the training and the work and the preparation and the community around him that it took for him to accomplish this feat uh, becomes for Paul and for, for us this an example of what it takes to run this race of faith, this, to, to journey on this, this life of faith that each of us has, the purposefulness. So Paul, uh, right, we're, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, and so right before we pick up uh, in the reading, Paul uses an example of a soldier, of an athlete, and of a farmer. Uh, kind of just in really quick succession is like, Timothy, think about, these different vocations and what they mean for this journey of faith that each one of us are on. And there's this this single-minded endurance that is what it takes to accomplish something like this, to be an athlete at the top of your game. That Paul says, pay attention to that. There's, you know, whether or not you can run 434 one time, let alone 26 times in succession, um, pay attention to the, the, the life that it takes to accomplish something like this, to be so single-minded, that endurance, the glory that comes after suffering, right? After all of the work that's put in. Um, As I watched numerous clips of the finish of this race and all of the celebration, uh, this was, he, he, he landed in his wife's arms the first time she's ever got to see him run a race. This is the current world record holder, gold medalist, and world champion in this event. 
He's won a number of uh, all the big city marathons. This is the first time his wife and his kids were there to see him. Tears. Um, but as I was, uh, as I've been watching these clips, right, it's super inspiring. Uh, and my hope this morning is that our passage will will inspire us towards uh, this kind of attention, this kind of uh, courage in our life of faith. Um, it's an invitation this morning, I think, to something that's hard. It's, it's an invitation to something that's not easy. All of the work that went into this, right? It's work. It's, it's not easy. But uh, we'll also find this morning um, that grace, grace upon grace, uh, covers over all of our efforts. Because ultimately, all of our efforts fall short. And ultimately, this life of faith uh, is dependent on the grace of God. So I hope that you sense all of that in our passage this morning. You can open your Bibles if you want to. 2 Timothy 2. uh, We're going to start in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And now here, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Let's pray. Lord, be our teacher this morning. We pray, God, that you would, through, through your spirit, through your word, that you, were, you would comfort us where we are afflicted, where we are um, suffering, where we are in pain, where we doubt, that we would hear a word of encouragement this morning. But we also know that many of us, I think, are probably fairly comfortable. And perhaps what we need is a word of challenge, a word of... Uh, Encouragement towards growth. So we want our ears to be open to that this morning too, Lord. Change us by the power of your spirit that we would leave here not the same people that we walked in as. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The opening line here, I think it was two weeks ago maybe when I was preaching on part of 1st Timothy, where the opening line was just worth stopping and kind of pausing and reflecting on uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And it was like, we could just sit on that for a little bit. And I think similarly here, Paul summarizes what he calls his gospel by saying, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And I think that it's such a short summary, but there's so much that's packed in there in those two little bits. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. And there are some details, I think, that many of us would probably say, oh, he, he, le- he left out, uh, that are implied, I think, in a lot of what he's saying. 
Uh, but this is, this is Paul's summary of the gospel, of the good news, that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And that implies, of course, that he experienced death, that he, was, uh, that he sacrificed himself for us on the cross. But ultimately, the good news is that death did not have the last word, that Christ is stronger than death, that resurrection changes everything. And then the descended from David line is kind of a curious one, and, and, and scholars kind of went back and forth on, well, what's the, the impact of that? But I, I think what's most compelling to me is, is that Jesus lived as a human that he knows what it is like to be human, the incarnation, right? God taking on flesh, uh, as Eugene Peterson says, moving into the neighborhood, that he's faced temptation just as we have, yet was without sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news, that Jesus has conquered death, has conquered sin, uh, and has, has done it as someone, as God who became flesh, who knows what it's like to walk the earth, to face temptation, and has made a way for us to follow in his footsteps. This is Paul's gospel for which he's suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. What a great image. So Paul endures this suffering for the sake of the church that they would obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. Suffering is one of the themes uh, that Paul writes to Timothy about. Yay! We love hearing it. No, we don't love hearing about suffering. But it's part of uh, Paul's experience and part of what he says is to be expected for those who follow Christ. That this is not an easy life. It's not a life of ease that we are called into. It's not a life of comfort uh, that Christ calls us into, even though he does comfort us in the midst of our suffering. Paul says, this is, uh, this is to be expected. This is not an easy life. I'm suffering in chains like a common criminal right now. And as you, Timothy, lead this church uh, in first century uh, eastern Turkey, western Turkey, uh, that, that you should expect to suffer. This is not going to be an easy road for you, but it's going to be a road that is worth it because there's a future glory, right? Christ, raised from the dead, shows us that death is not the last word in our lives, but that no matter what our present circumstances look like, there comes an ultimate healing, that there's not really an end to life. There's just a transition into a new life and the next life. And then he says there's this trustworthy saying, and, and Paul, in, in the, what's called the pastoral letters, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, he, he says this five different times. He's like, here's a trustworthy saying. This is something you can really sink your teeth into. You can put your roots on this. This is worth knowing. And, and it's, it's kind of this little poem. And, and some people think maybe it was part of a hymn or maybe it was part of a, a liturgy that the church would do when someone was baptized. And it starts with uh, these two lines. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. And uh, the, again, I think this is, a, this is it's wonderful and it's poetic, but then if you, if you really look at what is being asked of us or what we are kind of <laughs> assenting to here in these first two lines, it's death and endurance. <laughs> like that's, that's the invitation for us, um, which on its own is, is not so great, right? But uh, the invitation is to death and endurance, in order that we might live and reign with Christ. 
And I think that's the pattern of the Christian life that Jesus sets out for us, for, for us. Death and then resurrection. Endurance and, and then glory. And then there's this interesting line where Paul says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. And that, uh, that's a tough one to swallow. And I think that what Paul's getting at here is, is sometimes called apostasy, which is a fancy theological word for just meaning disowning. When you've referred to people who had, uh, who had placed their faith in Christ, who had, who had become part of the church, and then who rejected it all, left the church, left Christ, wanted nothing to do with him. And um, the, the image that I've heard others use before in this is, uh, Christ is our lifeline on, you know, think if you think of the imagery of rock climbing, like Christ is the rope. Uh, and if we willfully let go of that rope, like that's the, the one thing that we have that's holding us fast. Uh, but I also think, uh, as I read of this, um, or read this line, I think of Peter. Peter, who himself denied Christ three times, and yet, at the end, was restored back into fellowship, was brought back in, and in fact, is the rock upon which the church is built. Peter, who denied Christ three times. And that's where we get this last line, right? So Paul has this warning. It's a warning that we should pay attention to, right? If we disown him, he will disown us. One more thing on that line. I think it actually reveals something positive here about the character of God, which is this, that God doesn't force himself on us, that God honors our freedom. He honors our decisions, which I think is actually a beautiful thing, that God is not a God who forces himself on people, but who woos people to himself. But it's a warning that we should pay attention to, followed by this strange turn of phrase in the, in the last line here. If, if we were to be consistent with how this little poem is working, we would read, if we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, um, he will turn his back on us. But that's not what it says. That's not the good news. That's not the grace that we are invited into. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And that's where this all ends is resting on the grace of God, that even in our doubts, right? If we think of faithless, not having faith, struggling with doubt, struggling with our our own weakness. These are not the end. These are not the final piece to this relationship with Christ. The, 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 The more final word is Christ's faithfulness to us. So, all of this is in a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he is uh, he's trying to recenter this church and encouraging Timothy to help recenter this church that has been veering off course. There's been the influence of some false teachers that have come into the church. There's been just the influence of, uh, of the world that has, has shifted some of the values of the church. Um, And Paul is saying, and I think probably the opening line summarizes it best, remember Jesus. This is the center. Uh, We have, uh, as Summer mentioned this evening, 
we're having a new members class. So uh, we, we sometimes call this our mutual commitment uh, class, where we talk about what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to be committed to each other and mutually encouraging each other in this walk of faith. And one of the things we do is we talk about our, uh, our connection as a church to the Christian Reformed Church. We're part of a denomination that ultimately traces its roots back to folks like Luther and Calvin, who were seeking four or 500 years ago to reform the church, to recenter the church on Christ. Their sense uh, was that the church had kind of veered off kilter. We, we, we'd gotten away from our, our first love, from, our, from centering on Jesus. Uh, and they had you know, a few different issues with the church at the time. Um, but their intent was never to even be a movement. It was simply to reform and recenter the church. And I think one of the great strengths of being in this tradition is not that these guys four and 500 years ago got everything so perfect and right, but it's an invitation to be people and to be a church that is always reformed and reforming, right? That's always re-centering ourselves on the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, because if there's one thing that the, the church has, <laughs> has done well over the years, it's forgetting that and always <laughs> pursuing uh, power or cultural influence or coming up with all kinds of rules that ultimately keep us or keep Christ from being the center of what we're about. There are three, um, I don't know if you've heard this before, the three solas. Uh, it's sola is this Latin word that just means only or, or solely this. Right? Sola fide, only faith. Sola scriptura, only scripture. And sola gratia, um, only grace. Faith, scripture, and grace. Like These are the things that the reformers were trying to say. If we, if we can just get back to, to faith in Christ, to scripture as God's word that points us to Christ, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it points us to Christ, and that it's the grace that we find in Christ that leads to our salvation, nothing else. If we can get back to that, I think we'll get back to the heart of things and be able to separate out all this other stuff that's been added on. That's a a strength in our tradition that I hope we can continue to to live into, to be people and to be a church that's always coming back to the center, coming back to Christ. Um, I think part of that process, though, is the painful realization uh, and ultimately something that leads us to confession of all of the other things that have elbowed their way into the middle, that have become the center. And, you know, this happens incrementally over long periods of time, uh, and it also happens every week in our own lives, right? Things that um, are good things that become the center of our lives, that become the ultimate thing that we pursue. And and we come together on Sunday morning, um, and we sing these songs that, that draw us back to Christ, that reform and recenter us. There's a sense in which, as we read Paul's letters uh, to Timothy, we get some sense of kind of what that church was struggling with. It's never, it's never explicitly laid out in like bullet points, but you kind of read between the lines, and there's a sense that there was an eleva- there was the sense that the, the church, the, that those who were following Christ should be living a life of ease, that they shouldn't really be suffering. That if you were suffering, that was actually maybe some indication that you weren't really a true Christian. 
and, and that's part of why Paul talks about suffering so much in these letters, is he says, no, actually, it might be the other way around. It might be more that, uh, you know, if you're living a life of ease, that might be some indication that, that you've lost your way. Uh, money and wealth um, had become the center uh, for many people in this church. Uh, there seemed to be a, a stark contrast between folks within this church of those who had and those who had not. And Paul's encouraging Timothy to say, no, no, there's a, this is a family. A family is how we conceive of ourselves in the church. And then there was arguments over words and special meanings and a special, special kind of knowledge that sort of set some people up as, as, as true, pure Christians as opposed to everybody else. I think some of those things are, are probably things that we still struggle with here in the church in 21st century Seattle. Maybe there's other things, too. Um, even just thinking back over this last week and thinking of what are those things that have, uh, have pushed their way into the center of your life and displaced Christ. Maybe work has done that. Work is a good thing. Work is a gift from God. Uh, but it really easily can become the center. Family. Family is this great gift from God. But maybe this idea of family, the, either the family that you long for that you don't have or the family that you do have that you think is so wonderful and such a gift, either way, it can become the center and elbow Christ out. Certainly money can become the center, pleasure, a life of ease and comfort, power, all good things that can worm their way into the middle, leaving no room for Christ. I, uh, <laughs> man, I had two really different days between Tuesday and Thursday this last week. Tuesday, Summer and I took uh, a soul care day up to this uh, retreat center outside of Bellingham at Cedar Springs Retreat Center. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's beautiful. And the, the guy who runs it just has just started putting on these monthly soul care days, which are lightly guided prayer retreats. I mean, it's just an excuse to get away, be quiet, read the Bible, pray, and, and listen in prayer. And it was a gift. And the next time they're doing one of these, we will let you know <laughs> so that you can come with us. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a great gift. I found myself um, reading... I, John 13 to 17, sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse. It's Jesus, kind of his last time with his disciples. And, and the way that John puts together uh, Jesus, kind of his last words to his disciples, it's just, it moves me. I love it. So I spent some time there, and I found myself as I was walking around these, I mean, just stunning. I should have put a picture up, because then you would all come the next time they're doing it. It's beautiful. But I found myself meditating on uh, the first verse of chapter 14 in John, where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I just, that kind of became this breath prayer of every time I took a breath, like, do not let your hearts be troubled. I, I needed and still need my heart to be untroubled, detroubled. That was Tuesday, uh, and it was, a, it was a gift. And then Thursday was our, uh, we, twice a year we have our classes meeting which is the gathering of all of the uh, Christian Reformed churches in the Pacific Northwest, pastors and a couple of elders from each church. Um, and it felt different <laughs> than Tuesday. Uh, to be fair, it's, it's, 
just by virtue of how it's set up, it's more administrative, right? It's not designed to be a prayer retreat. So it's a little unfair for me to compare the two days. But I noticed the contrast. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was not lost on me, the fact that you can get a room full of pastors and church leaders together um, and somehow find all these conversations that don't seem to have Jesus at the center of them. And I think that the, the, the lesson, um, I mean, it was a good day. I don't want you to, our denomination is wonderful. We're the, the best among all of the worst denominations. Um, but, but, uh, but I think the, the lesson there was um, that it is so easy, it is so easy to, to become off-center, to, to, um, to have our attention and our hearts turned away from remembering Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David, conquered sin and death, incarnate, the one who knows what it is to suffer, who knows what it is to face temptation. I, I, I think the invitation this morning is in some ways very, very simple. And it, in some ways, it's the invitation that is extended to us every Sunday when we come together, which is remember Jesus. Recenter your lives and your hearts and your imaginations and your minds on Jesus. Uh, and, and confess freely uh, and in confidence, knowing that God loves you no matter what, all of the things that have gotten in the way, all of the things that have come in and elbowed him out. And I think that there's all kinds of ways, practical ways, that we do this, right? That we can work on recentering Jesus in our hearts and our lives. And, um, man, I, it's, I say these things uh, because I, I need to hear this. I'm not saying, I, believe me, this is, this is as much uh, a message for me this morning as it is for any of us here. But it's, it's the basic things, right? It's, it's dwelling in God's word from Genesis to Revelation as his word to us that points us to Jesus. It's, it's, it's soaking, setting aside time for prayer. That was, I, it's been a struggle for me. That's why Tuesday was such a gift. And I have to say, Tuesday was not my idea. It was Summer's idea. She sent me the email when, about this soul care, this, this prayer retreat, and said, this is for us. We need this. Um, and it took work to, to carve out time for that, but it, it, was, it was worth it. We pray, we communicate, we speak, but we listen as well. We participate in the life of the church, uh, which is Jesus' body, right? This is the image for the church, the body of Christ. And I think that that last phrase, that if we're faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. I think that speaks something to the nature of the church, that this is not just a, a random community, but this is actually Christ's body, which is a mystery that I don't fully understand. But there's something about participating in it that helps us participate in the life of Christ, that helps draw us near to Christ. And we look outside of ourselves to the least of these, right? Jesus says uh, that when we serve, when we engage and encourage and serve the least of these, that we are doing it to him. That there's something about caring for those on the margins, about uh, pouring out our life, spending our life and our resources for those on the margins for the least of these, that helps us encounter him, that we meet him there. 
So maybe, maybe just think about one way this next week. One, one practical thing you might do to help recenter your mind and heart and life on Jesus. I, I am often prone to being uh, planning avoidant. <laughs> I just think that like things will just naturally happen, and then they then they don't, and I'm I wonder why. Uh, and one of the I had a chance to meet with um, the director of this retreat center, who offered himself for some spiritual direction to folks that were up there, uh, and he 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 kind of challenged me to look at my calendar and and just uh, to to look at the places. Uh, where there has been things that I've calendared in, space that I've put in my calendar to connect me to Jesus. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then I left and, and, you know, of course, spent a couple of days. I'm like, oh, I should do that. (laughs) So I'm, again, sharing out of my own uh, weakness and my own desire for this. Uh, But maybe maybe that's the invitation for you this morning, to look at your calendar and to say, how does this how does my calendar reflect Jesus at the center? I long for that. I'm working on that. I want to end uh, just by reading this passage one more time. And every now and then, it's good that we hear God's word in the hippie Bible. So, This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. Get it down right and hold on to it. Jesus was born in a human body as a descendant of David. He came back to life from the dead, just like the good news tells us. They can lock up brothers and sisters who believe that, but they can't lock up the truth. And if it happens to you, be happy, because it's part of God's plan for bringing other brothers and sisters into the family. It's really true, man, that because we died with him, we're going to live with him. If we suffer with him, we'll rule with him. And if we say we don't know him, he'll say he doesn't know us. And if we're too weak to trust him, he still loves us because he's inside us and he can't put down a part of himself.